Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a parenting podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I talk to one of my very good friends, Mr. Jay Armstrong Johnson. Jay has been on Broadway for a while now. I know Jay. I could spend a long time listing his credits as they are many and varied. He's been on TV's Quantico on ABC. He's been on Phantom of the Opera on Broadway, Hair on Broadway. Uh, he's been in a ton of different stuff. But I just want to take a moment to talk about how I know Jay. So Jay and I worked on a show, Godspell, back in the summer of 2005. And Jay and I, while being the same age, just instantly hit it off, had an instant connection, became fast friends. And he is one of the people that I have maintained a friendship with ever since. So now it's 15 years later, uh, exactly like to the month, 15 years later, and we are still close friends. Uh, we may not talk all the time, but anytime one of us texts or calls each other, the other one's available. And I really value that. And his friendship means a lot. So I have him on the show today uh, to talk about what Pride Month has historically meant for him, what it means now um, with everything going on in the world, how we can work to be better allies, both in the LGBTQ plus community, as well as uh, society as white men, and uh, what we can do to educate ourselves and educate others who look and sound like us and are like us. And then we really talk about how we can kind of dismantle some of this uh, institutionalized racism and uh, that's a lot of learned behaviors that we have. So it's a really great episode. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So stick around. Jay and I will be right back after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is my very, very good, dear, old, because we're getting old, friend, Mr. Jay Armstrong Johnson. Jay, how are you doing today? I'm really good. I'm glad to hear your voice. Yes. <laughs> it feels like forever, forever in a day that we were doing Godspell and hanging out in Bass Hall back in Fort Worth, Texas, and now we're just a couple of old somebodies. <laughs> That's right. We're just trying to get by. You know, you're just raising kids, you know, a really easy task, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, totally easy. Um, they dropped off the manual when they <laughs> dropped off the kids, so it's it's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm excited because we're going to get into a couple different topics uh, in today's episode. So June is Pride Month, and so we're going to talk about what Pride Month has historically meant for you individually, your experiences with coming out, what Pride Month has then meant to you since coming out, and also with all the current events going on in the world, we're starting to see um, incremental progress. Uh, there's lots of work to be done with regards to equal rights and equality. There was, you know, a Supreme Court decision a couple. Uh, couple days ago. Uh, so we'll get into all of that. But before we even dive into that, I do want to take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's episode, which is Snuffy. Snuffy is a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. 10% of profit goes to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at snuffy.co. That's S-U-N-F-F-Y. 
www.nixsilvestri.co. And a big thanks to Nick Silvestri. That is his company, and he designed the Detox logo, both in general and for Pride Month. So if you like it, you should go check it out and support it because it's all for a good cause. So with that said, we're going to dive into the episode. And Jay, I really want to know, uh, first of all, I guess maybe people may not be familiar with who you are. So let's take a moment to just kind of level set and let people know you have been on Broadway for a minute now. And you've done a bunch of different projects. You've also been on ABC's Quantico. Um, you had a, a, a blink and you'll miss it in, was it Sex and the City or Sex and the City 2? Oh, Sex and the City 2. 2, yes. Two? I feel like it was the second 2. second one, I think. Okay. But yeah, it, but yeah you were there, and uh, I saw the movie just for that. So <laughs> it was well I still have never even seen the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but let's let's talk about who you are. So you are from Fort Worth, Texas. So you're from my stomping grounds. And uh, yeah, let's really dig into your background and how you got to a Broadway, the Great White Way, if you will. Totally. Um, I kind of came about performing in church is when I first started singing. And uh, a few friends that were in the choir with me um, had me come audition for a musical uh, that they were there's this, this group called Kick Through Care um, in Fort yes. Worth, and people in my youth group and in the choir were a part of Kick Through Care, and they asked me to come audition for it. Um, I did, and I was 12 years old, and I got the theater bug immediately. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize I was gay back then, truly right. didn't, because um, I was a good Christian boy that right. had straight A's and went to church every Sunday, and kind of my idea of the homosexual was that they were kind of a deviant and right. um, ungodly, and that was kind of all I'd ever heard, and the word fag was thrown around a lot at me when I was a kid, because I guess they could smell a bit of femininity <laughs> on me at an early age. Uh, sure. So, you know, growing up in Texas was definitely not the easiest in the 90s and early 2000s because um, like Will and Grace was just starting to come right. out like toward the end of like you know my high school years and so that was really kind of my first taste of like positive queer culture yep um I loved Jack so much I like my <laughs> first trip to New York I visited NBC studios and got like the just Jack t-shirt I mean, uh, like, and that was before <laughs> I even the closet, so I truly must have been joking um <laughs> but uh theater was uh theater was my escape from everything um my parents got divorced when I was 13, right around the time uh, that I found right. theater. And so it was my escape from my reality. It was my escape from uh, from being bullied at school. Um, I all of a sudden had friends uh, <laughs> that were like-minded and celebrated me for um, my like artistic abilities, um, which were kind of condemned uh, because singing and dancing and acting was queer or gay or, you know, um, right. I didn't technically come out of the closet to anyone until I got into NYU and knew I was leaving home. Right. Um, right. The second that I knew I had an out, I kind of came out of the closet to my friends and family and then ran away to New York city and never looked back. Well, I mean, I think that's, that's so key because there's, um, you know, talking with other members of the community and talking about their coming out stories, especially whether in Texas or in other parts of the Southern United States, it's a similar idea where um, you, you as an individual have this kind of moment where you, you know, and you figured it out and 
you want to be careful about how you let others in on the secret, uh, excuse me, the, not the secret, but the, um, your sexual orientation, your identity, who you are and, and really figuring, yeah. And really figuring out, um, you know, the best way to do it because it can be tricky and you hear stories all the time of parents disowning their children or friends now no longer being friends and bullying. And I think it, I think it can be difficult, um, in certain situations to fully embrace who you are when you don't have a way out. So it totally makes sense. Well, it's funny that you use the word secret because guess what? That that it was my secret Mm -hmm. for many, many, many years. Uh, especially after I realized I was gay, which was probably around the age 14 or 15, sure. when I started to meet other gay dudes that were smart and funny and talented and nice. Um, you know, I was like, oh, that's what gay is? That guy's not the devil incarnate. Right. <laughs> He's actually yeah. a really good human and super talented. And well, am I feeling things for a dude? I Oh, <laughs> wow. I guess I am gay. Right. <laughs> So then, you know, once that secret was gone, there I was. Right. Out and proud. Yeah. And I love that, um, you know, you talk about meeting other members of the community and recognizing like, oh, they're not, they're not evil. They're not bad. And I think so many times, especially, you know, transitioning into um, a lot of the, what's happening now with people waking up for the first time to systemic racism and you see and when there's there there's a lack of contact with a group of people whether it is you know people who are uh, people of color people in the queer community what uh, women men etc non-binary individuals whatever the case is when you don't have a regular interaction with them it makes it easy for people to label them, put them in a box and make them the big bad wolf. And now you're scared of them and they're coming for your insert the blank here, you know, like your house, your, your rights, your, your state of being, whatever it is. And when you start recognizing people who are individuals and you realize, Oh, these people are just like me. They have hopes and dreams and fears and wants and desires just like I do. I don't know why I'm a, I don't know why I'm scared of them. There's really nothing to be scared of or angry at or whatever. And I think we we don't have the capacity to grow if we're not exposing ourselves to new situations and ways of thinking. Right. You know. And it's well, I, yeah. Well, what's what's funny is that our society hasn't really granted that to us. In yes. a sense, we were, we were told at a really early, early time in, in our country that even though like slavery is abolished and civil rights were met, um, there were still laws right. um, and ways, uh, you know, it, outright slavery just became modern day incarceration. Uh, yep. If you haven't watched 13th on Netflix, uh, any of the listeners, you really, truly must watch it to kind of understand the true history of race relations within the United States to understand yes. how we've gotten to this boiling point. And that's where I'm finding myself um, with pride this year. Um, I'm finally doing my research as an out and proud gay man about my history of what it means to have a pride. And it's because a trans woman of color 
was the one that started the riots at Stonewall. She's right. the reason why we have pride. Yes. And so pride has been taken over by corporations and they've, they're making a dollar off of a rainbow flag and everyone's neglecting to realize that like the most marginalized of our brothers and sisters are our trans people of color. Right. And those are the ones that started it for the gay community. Yes. Um, so, and, and so right now it's about education for me. It's about, you know, I mean, I just started reading White Fragility and it's bringing a, a lot of things to light for me to watch 13th, um, right. to kind of inundate myself with as much education on race relations and on queerness too, um, is where I am in my current state because uh, i think education is key yes yes exactly <laughs> i'm obsessed me street yeah <laughs> just doing a town hall on racism like that's that's the kind of content that we yep. need and we need to be sharing it with our kids and to really kind of break um break this system we got to break the system we, we do <laughs> really and to your point you know we're talking about marsha p johnson uh, starting Stonewall, a black woman of, yeah. uh, you know, a black trans woman who started along with, uh, was it Sylvia Gutierrez, Sylvia yeah, Rivera, excuse Sylvia. me, Sylvia Rivera. And that's two trans women of color who started, who started pride essentially with right. the riots. And, and we forget that. And to your point, we lose it. And I think, I think there's an opportunity here. So I think when we talk about and I want to get back into the education piece in a second, but I think when we talk about allyship, it's people have historically thought of allyship as straight people supporting members of the community. And that is a hundred percent true, but I think there's an opportunity for us to be allies within each of the communities. Right. And so, you know, we talk about, you know, white gay men has not, you have an opportunity to be an ally to a black trans woman or other uh, non-binary folks of color, you know, queer women of color, queer individuals of color, and then within the black community, you know, your queer brothers and sisters as well. And so, I mean, there's layers within each community. And I think you can find more and more marginalized people to be allies for. And I, I, I do full disclosure, I'm not here as the straight white man to tell people how they should be allies because I am doing my own work as well. But I think we, we, all are given an opportunity to educate and empower ourselves on our own history and the history of others who identify in the same group as us. And then we can all work to be a better society together. So it's, it's layers of education and empowerment. And I do think to your point about education, kids get it. You, you don't, you're, you, you're not born with, with racism. And then you have to like, it's not like hair, that you have on your head when you're a baby and it falls out eventually, you know, it's, it's something that kids, kids don't know to be discriminatory against other kids until they are told you can't play or interact. Exactly. And so it is our job as parents and as influencers of people who have kids to start those lessons now. So it is not a learned behavior that you ever pick up. The learned behavior is inclusive inclusivity there we go yeah. right it's true yeah so now and, i mean it and i the thing is is that like we say yes let's educate the kids and we absolutely have to um but it's really about the education of ourselves yes our history books didn't have a lot of the black story and right um we actually weren't taught 
this literally ever. I right. didn't know that there was a huge massacre in Tulsa uh, that took down the entire like African American Wall Street. Right. I, I mean, yeah. I didn't know I about that until I watched. Year. Yeah, watching Watchmen on HBO. That's when yeah. I learned about it. I didn't know about redlining as a concept until I read Tennessee Coates' Eight Years in Power. I said this on the a uh, couple episodes ago. I didn't know, and then and even beyond that, I did not even know about the Japanese internment camps until I was almost out of college. Sure. I thought somebody mentioned it in a history class in an argument about why you know we were talking about the system of the prison system and somebody mm -hmm. brought up internment camps were a um a type of prison system and i said i don't what are you even talking about i thought they were talking about another country and that was an opportunity for me to go to the library and educate myself because i was not aware of this and i was like why is this absent from all of my history books and it's because right. people don't want to talk about it no that's why there are Confederate monuments, hundreds of them, throughout our entire nation. They right. just decided to erect statues as, like, I don't know, condolence prizes for losing the war. Like, yeah, are, it's a participation are, trophy, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I don't understand why we, we need to um, memorialize that uh, energy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not our culture. Um it's not, it's our history, sure, but it can't be our culture. <laughs> right. No, 100%. And, and, you know, I think it was, I feel like it, it may have even been you on, on Twitter or online talking about how, you know, I, I don't think I realized this, and it's mainly because I don't necessarily care to study wars, so I was not aware of how short the Civil War was. And so when you think about, right. was it like, it's it was four years, I think, all total, um, and people feel free to fact check me, but I believe it was four years and someone had posted online like that and <laughs> said, I went through three different majors in college in four years. How can, <laughs> and then, and then like, I don't have a memorial to my failed history degree. You know, I mean, like, you know, I don't have a memorial to the theater degree. I don't use, I mean like all this stuff. Right. And so it's like, <laughs> it's like, why do we have a memorial to this atrocity? It's not history. It's a blip. It's a, it, I mean, it's history and it's something that we need to be aware of and understand why it started and understand what happened, but it's not something we need to memorialize as part of our heritage. Right. So I grew up being with, and I, you know, you being from same area as I am, like growing up, seeing the, the rebel flag everywhere, um, having friends go to uh, school where you're the Richland rebels, you know, and, and, being told like, well, it's heritage. It's not hate. I'm not racist. I'm just, I'm flying the rebel flag because that's where I'm, you know, that's where I'm from. And this is part of who I am in the same way. Someone would fly, would be in an Italian restaurant, have an Italian flag and the American flag. And I'm like, Oh sure. I just accepted that. That was, you know, acceptable. And as I got older, I went, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's so many things wrong with that. It's not, right. it's not a piece of who you are. It's a thing that happened. It's just, I mean, you know, <sighs> I don't want to make the comparison to, to Nazis, but it's like you wouldn't, somebody had said <laughs> you wouldn't see German individuals having the Nazi flag and the German flag. Like, well, this is just part of it's, my heritage. Well, it is very, it is very similar. Yeah. And like, it's a symbol and symbols carry a lot of energy. And mm -hmm. they're a reminder to those people of color that like, 
you were on the side of the people that wanted slavery, TBH. Right. right. That's truly <laughs> just what you're saying. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, shit, we didn't get slavery. So we're going to wave this flag as a reminder that we were on that. You know, right. like, why would you associate with that? Right. The flag that we have is the one with 50 stars or 52 stars or however many. 50. Freaking stars. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. But, you know, that's the flag. Like, that's our country. Yep. Like, we went through a war to get where we are so right that's our symbol exactly. uh, unity you know right <laughs> <laughs> now i want to know as we're getting to as we're going through uh, well let me let me back up a bit i was having this conversation with a good friend of mine um two days ago and i'll give them a shout out they're not they're one of uh one of my very close friends their name is kate and we were talking and we were talking about the Supreme court decision, which uh, if you're not familiar and you're not aware, it was the Supreme court ruled that companies could not discriminate against you or fire you based on your sexual identity, um, sexual orientation, your gender identity, um, because of the fact, and it was written the, the opinion or the, I, I'm not, I'm not up on my legalese, so I don't know what it's called. I know the dissenting opinion, but I, I, the affirmative, I'm not sure. But the, the to paraphrase it, it was essentially by firing somebody for their sexual orientation or their gender identity, um, you are discriminating against someone based on factors you would not necessarily or you would not consider if they were essentially cisgender individuals. You would not consider it in your decision to fire them if they were not trans gender, non-binary, et cetera. And so that was huge. That was great because prior to that point, there was only a handful of states where you could not be fired for that. I believe it was California and New York were two. And then I think Massachusetts and a handful of others. Texas was definitely not one of them. Um, Texas is notoriously a uh, state where you can be fired for any reason, typically. <laughs> um, and they don't have oh to, God. and they don't have to give you uh, breaks or lunches or whatever, if they provide an opportunity for you to eat. I mean, all these terrible like labor laws, but right. So while that was huge and great, um, we were talking about the fact that while that happened on Monday, the previous Friday, the Trump administration rolled back health care for transgender individuals. And so while we want to celebrate the Supreme Court decision, because we should, we also need to bear in mind that Friday before Monday was a reminder that there's a lot of fucking work to be done. Yeah. I mean, it's... I mean, all, yeah. all I saw at that Supreme Court decision was that it was six to three. And I was right. like, three yeah. judges in our highest court don't believe that trans rights are human rights. It, right. It, it's mind-boggling. And I know that... Like even people in my family and even some of my friends who are very forward thinking um, people a few years back, I think maybe even during marriage equality, they were not on board with um, transgender, with the idea of, of transgender people. Right. Um, so I know that we've even come a long way since then, but now I'm just mad. You know, right. <laughs> yeah. Yay, I'm glad it passed. But yes, Trump did roll back health. For that healthcare provisions, yeah. Marginalized. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, I'm tired. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't even imagine what it must be like to be black. Right. I mean, if, I, if I'm tired and I'm upset about just like LGBTQ rights in general, um, 
I, I can't even imagine what it means to um, be scared for my literal life. Right. Um, <laughs> Seriously. You know. I, I mean, it, my friend Kate put it so succinctly and they said, you know, yes, I can't be fired for being non-binary, but I can still be denied healthcare for a pandemic. So there's that. And it's like, that is, that is the like, like craziest, most mind boggling thing is that yes, you can have one and not the other. And it's like, it's fucking, it's human rights. Like, how are we, how, who are we to say you care or you matter? We care about you. You don't matter. We don't care about you. It's like you strip everything away. We're all the same. Like we're all the same human beings. Um, but yeah. we have very different lived experiences based on the fact that somebody somewhere decides that we should have that these group of people, because of the color of their skin, should live in this part of town. And we're going to redline it here and separate them. So they're always in poverty. So we can have our slice of the pie and it can be greater. Or we defined marriage as looking like one man and one woman because anything else is not what we feel comfortable with. And so we're just going to make laws to restrict that. And we don't care if those people are upset because we don't have to hear them because we're up here in our ivory tower. And it's just, it frustrates me. And I think to your point about being tired, I echo it a hundred percent. And, and I think growing up in the church as well, and coming from an extremely religious background and seeing a, and going to a Christian school for college and coming out of there with a theater and a theology double major. I mean, there's a lot of people mm. that I were both taught from and went to school with that were very opinionated, um, very closed minded, very, this is the way that God and the Bible says that things are. So this is the way it is. And, and, you know, I think, I as an individual also grew a lot in my own journey of being an ally and being supportive and just trying to be the best I can be. But now I'm seeing all of those people that I'm thinking of right now saying things I never in a million years would have thought they were saying about how everybody should be treated with respect, how systemic racism is rampant. And this is not the message of the church to hate it's the message of the church to love and Jesus went and loved people and fed people and clothed people. And he went against the government and really brought sustenance to the people and all these different things. And, and it's, so I say all of that to say people are getting there and everybody's starting a little bit later than others, but we need to welcome them on this journey point them in the right direction for resources, let them educate themselves and say, all right, now you're educated. Let's pick up a sign and let's get marching. Let's get going. There's a lot of work to do. Is there, there's no such thing as an, as a non-racist anymore. Right. Um, racism is just a part of every single human on this planet. Mm -hmm. it, it's a thing that exists. When someone says, I don't see color, that's not great because yeah. that person is a specific color and that carries a certain weight. So see that color and now let's help make it better right. for them. You know, and this, I have a family member that's in the police force. And so there's been a lot of contention in my family about this idea behind defund the police. And right. I think that it's really triggering people in ways. Um, but I, this, my friend Amanda posted something on Facebook today. 
And um, I just want to read it because I, I found it really exciting sure. and smart. Um, picture this. It's 2030, maybe even 2025. You're walking down the street. You see a man who's clearly in distress, mental health and or drugs. He's walking in and out of traffic, doesn't seem to be aware of his surroundings. You open your social services app and request emergency help. You select mental health, substance abuse, emergency care, and your location is sent one time with your permission. Four minutes later, an ambulance arrives. Two unarmed, but trained specialists get out and talk to the man. The man seems to recognize one of the specialists. Hey, Mike. And the specialist recognizes him. You doing all right, John? Looks like you may have forgotten your medication. Do you need us to take you back to group home? The specialist radios back to the call and says, it's calm and there's no further backup needed. John agrees. He gets into the ambulance unrestrained and gets back on track with his meds and continues his treatment plan. He's in a trade program and hopes to work as a contractor one day, but his schizophrenia is a major obstacle. He's making it work, though, and he only has six months left before he has his certification. This is what public health and safety looks like. We can have this. We really can. Yep. That's what that's what defund the police is. Uh, right. Take away money from parts of the police when they're like they're militarizing local police forces yeah. with tanks and with I mean we don't need that no that, that that's what the national guard is for right we need to allocate that money that's being spent on tanks in your small hometown and put it toward mental health and social services yes so that we can actually help people that have fallen on addiction or on hard times or facing homelessness um, that's where that's where we. Uh, that's what we're missing in, in, in this country is that we uh, are criminalizing everyone instead of realizing that there's a true issue that needs to be taken care of. Right. As opposed to just putting them behind bars um, so that they continue mon- can continue modern day slavery. I mean, we have to... Exactly. We have so much to do, Joe. <laughs> we do. No, it's true. And, and you know, I was pulling up a, a reference because this is reminding me of something. So I read Johan Hari, who's brilliant, by the way. If you're not following Johan Hari and his books on mental health and um, drugs, the war on drugs, it's absolutely phenomenal. You need to check it out. So he's got a couple of books. Um, the one I'm thinking of right now about the war on drugs is called chasing the scream. Um, his other book, which I was trying to find because I recently read it and it is absolutely fantastic. Um, I will have to find it here. Um, do, 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 of course it's not pulling up for me. Um, Oh, uh, lost connections, lost connections. So lost connections is more about mental health and depression. Chasing the scream is more Mm -hmm. about the war on drugs, but there's a lot of intersection there, but I say all of that. He talks about how in one country, I do not recall what it is, um, I was trying to find the country, but in a foreign European country, I believe it was somewhere in Scandinavia, because isn't it always, um, they you know, were fighting the war, quote unquote war on drugs in the same manner and fashion that we are, arresting low-level dealers, arresting people who are addicted to the medication, putting them in jail, putting them in the system. Now they can't get a job. Now they can't get sober. Now they can't whatever, and they're in a vicious cycle, and they're either going to continue being a drug addict or die early or some combination. And we're just, we're creating our own cycle of problems. This country, it might've even been South America. I will look it up and I'll put it in the show notes. I'm going to write a note to myself right now. So I don't forget um, to put the country in the show notes for chasing the screen. But um, in this specific country, they took all of the money and resources and they defunded 
to use the word that's popular right now. They defunded the war on drugs and allocated all of the money they were spending to police and fight these drugs. And they made all drugs legal. So heroin, meth, weed, anything that was previously being arrested for, they made legal. And they put all the money into drug rehabilitation programs. And the way it worked is if you are used to getting this specific pill, fix, hit, whatever, you went to this now structure, however many times you go, say you go on a Monday, you went in on Monday, they gave you what you were looking for. And while you were there, you met with a counselor to talk through why you were making these choices. What does your home life look like? Where do you live? What does your job look like? Do you have somebody? Do you have a friend? Do you have family members that you can rely on? Here's some resources. Let's talk through it. Let's get you set up with a job interview. Let's get your resume up. Let's talk through your skills. Let's work through this. And he said they found that I believe it was 75 or 80% of people that came once didn't come back for another hit because they got what they needed because it was never about the drugs. Right. It's about the connections. It's about the sense of purpose. It's about feeling comfortable with who you are and being your authentic self and being allowed to do that and understanding you're on hard times, but this does not define you. This is not the end of your story, but it is for so many people when we're militarizing the police and criminalizing and trumping up charges and putting people right. in a system that they can never get out of. And yeah. by taking the money that's already being allocated into one program and putting it into something that can do a world of good, you're now telling your citizens and your people, we are investing in you as a society because we see value in that and we are treating you with the decency and respect that you deserve. Totally. Oh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, actually like got on her Instagram and was answering questions. <laughs> and one of the questions was, what does an America with a defunded police look like for you? And her answer was genius. She said, oh, the good news is, is that it actually doesn't take a lot of imagination. It just looks like a suburb. <laughs> Affluent white communities already live in a world where they choose to fund youth, health, housing, etc. more than they fund the police. These communities have lower crime rates, not because they have more police, but because they have more resources to support a healthy society. That's what reduces the crime. <laughs> yeah. So the, you know, it's just funny that she's like, it, it exists. Right. Asking you to do that for like the communities of color as yes. opposed to like criminalizing them and then putting them in a system and then having you work for them so you can make a profit. Right. Because it's it's all an industry. You know, this the the we talk about the prison system, we talk about the police, we talk about it's a business. Military industrial complex. Yes. Oh yeah. It's the all business a business. Of making guns, honey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's you know, until you get to a point where, and I think, and I try and think about it from the perspective of people that I know who hear defund the police and think of the purge, <laughs> like that's where their mind goes, right? They're just like, well, if we defund the police, then I'm not going to be safe in my house and people are going to come take what I've worked hard for. And it's like, no, people aren't going to come and steal your stuff. That's not what it means. We're trying to provide communities and resources and outlets for folks to grow and live and thrive. That's it. Right. Don't you we're as trying, an individual want that? Of course. Yeah, well, we're trying to take away the load that we've given to police. 
police are supposed to track down stray dogs on top of also keep law and order. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it is, it is baffling the amount of work that we just throw on the police to deal with people that actually need to have, like, social services. Yeah. To deal with people that are, like, dealing with homelessness. They have to track down stray dogs. I mean, really, we're trying to just, like, focus their efforts. Right. Um, and so that we can, like, spread the wealth to other people that know how to deal with mental health disorders. Right. And... <laughs> You know, substance abuse. Yeah, it's, uh, it's and you it's have just smart, yeah. and you have <laughs> and you have these people who, you know, I, I again, it might have been your social media. I saw share this, so I've seen it a couple times now. But someone talked about I had to go to school for six years to practice the law, but you only need six months to defend it, and so right. like I can't. I'm not properly trained in my day-to-day job in six months. So you can't ask me to go out on the streets and protect people in that amount of time. You're making me spend four years to get a degree and learn how to sing and dance. And act. I mean, like I'm getting on a stage and twirling and that's taking me four years. And like you get your, you get your badge after six months. So you're going to need to take at least a ballet class and some intro to improv. Come on. <laughs> Oh, I mean, that's, it's sad, but true. And I think we're at a point now where, while like, how do I want to phrase this? It's, it's definitely, it feels like, it feels like a tipping point in the sense that you're actually seeing governments and cities and institutions make stands either declarations or actual plans of action. Everybody's getting on board. Uh, Cinto Ramos Jr., uh, or Jacinto Ramos Jr., who's been on the show a couple times, who's on the Fort Worth ISD school board. Um, the entire school board uh, put out a statement that said, um, the police force is rooted in systemic racism. And hmm. they came out and, and backed that 100%. All members of the school board approved it. It was unanimous approval. Right. Said, this is what we believe. And this is what we are basing our thought process and our focus on the fact that this is rooted in racism and we've got to change it. Yeah. Especially in the South. I mean, in yeah. the South, that's what the police force was created. It was to track down runaway slaves. Right. <laughs> that is it's the inception of the police force in the South. So you can't, you can't help but know that that, was, that was a reality. Right. And the repercussions of that reality, we still feel today. Yes. Um, and by we, I mean, we, uh, we are now feeling it in a major way. Our privilege has shielded us from actually having to feel it. Um, but that's what I, I'm leaning into this sense of discomfort that I have on a regular basis when I'm having these tough conversations with my family, when I'm educating myself on the actual history. It is not easy. I don't like to... I don't like to understand the gravity of it. Um, right. It don't. It doesn't feel great. Um, but my privilege has allowed me to lean away from that discomfort for so long, and now uh, I've got to lean into it, and I've got to feel it, and I've got to um, make it kick me into action uh, to be anti-racist. Right. Because uh, I know it's in me. I know I. I heard 
microaggressions, if not straight out macroaggressions when I was a kid growing up yeah. in my family and in my friends and in my church. Yes. I mean, like, it was in my church. Yeah. It was at my church camp. Yeah. It, it, it was around me uh, a lot. And so. Exactly. Uh, it, it is our job um, to reverse it in a major way. Exactly. And in fact, I, uh, I wanted to pull the exact quote to make sure I wasn't misspeaking. And it was uh, a, a week ago, the Fort Worth uh, ISD school board endorsed a statement that police practices are rooted in white supremacy. So that is what they came out with. And they said, we have the duty, uh, we believe, where is it? Um, the Fort Worth uh, public school board uh, vowed that the district has the power and the duty to be part of the solution to dismantle institutional racism. So they came out front and center, said that and backed it up wholeheartedly. And to your point about the, and so that's key, right? So you have your educational system that's coming out and saying our students and our teachers, we are backing you. We are all part of the solution. We've got to dismantle this. We've got to dismantle these learned behaviors, this institutional racism. We've got to start here from the ground up. And that was huge. And to talk to, to speak to your point about understanding the microaggressions, the macroaggressions, all the aggressions. I mean, I think about, I think about my time in college. Uh, I don't want to name the name of the school in case anybody's listening, but it was a small Southern Baptist school in uh, central to West Texas, middle of nowhere. Um, and my teacher, my, the head of the theater department was this little old Southern lady. And, uh, all of the students that were theater majors were white, except for one of my, uh, one of my good friends. And he was a black man who is extremely talented. Well, is, he's still, he's still alive, but he is extremely talented and was, I thought the best performer by far. And he was always cast in bit parts as the comedic relief or the character, and she backed it up by, we were like, why can't he uh, be the lead in, in Bye Bye Birdie? Why can't he be the lead in, you know, we're doing Guys and Dolls? Why can't he do these things? And, and she's like, oh, well, I just really adopt a practice of realism in my shows. And that was something I heard a lot in theater world is, well, it, it's realism. We have to really, you know, there weren't, you know, like, uh, what was it? Um, shoot, what's his name? Um, God, the lead guys and dolls, whatever, Frank Sinatra's role. They're like, well, he was he was written to be, and it was implied, a white man. So we can't have a black man be be uh, the lead in guys and dolls. You know, we'll let him be Harry the horse, or we'll let him be, you know, a Cuban dancer in the background. I mean, and to follow up, he's the only one out of everybody I went to school with that is actively in the theater world, regularly making a living because he got out of this institution. And everybody was like, oh, you're supremely talented. What are you doing auditioning for these crap roles? You need to be the lead and slaying Jubilee Theater and all this stuff. But the Broadway community is tackling this like head on. I mean, artists are always at the forefront of these kinds of right. movements. But um, the, the kind of uh, institutionalized racism that is even it runs rampant in the Broadway community, um, both in visibility on stage and off stage or the lack thereof. Right. Um, visibility. Um, so it, it's been interesting to see how my particular uh, circle uh, has been dealing with this. And it, um, it's mind blowing uh, to see the kind of change that's happening and to hear, uh, to be a part of the conversations, the hard conversations that are happening. I mean, I, 
I know that I've used microaggressions not even knowing it. And yeah. uh, I can think back to a very specific time and that my Broadway debut um, with one of my cast members of Hair. Um, I made a really off-color racial pun about his name. And I remember hurting him so badly. He got very defensive and I didn't understand why. And it was, and I didn't realize now that it was, an, it was a microaggression. It was right. truly, uh, I didn't understand at the time. And as white people, we have to realize, oh, right, that was a part of me. Oh, right, I have said that before. Right. Oh, right, I haven't stood up in when I've seen racial injustice. Um, I have been a part of this system that's allowed me to feel comfy. I don't, I'm not worried about my life when I go for a jog. I'm not, I'm not worried about my life when I'm going to get a bag of Skittles. Like, right. <laughs> you know, um, privilege is, is a real thing. Yeah. Um, and coming from a family that didn't come from much money, I, I thought that I understood the plight of the African Americans because I grew up in their neighborhood and I went <laughs> to their school and, you know, and that was, and then I thought that I understood them even more being a queer person. Sure. Uh, and then I, I, I have faced adversity. Um, but I was fully wrong about that. Yeah. Uh, because if I wanted to, I could have passed as a heterosexual male, right. white male, and been just fine. They, they can't pass for heterosexual white men because the color of their skin does not allow them to. Right. I mean, exactly. Exactly. And so as we're starting to wrap up, I want to leave folks with some resources. We've given them a few, but I want to leave folks. So I, I like to headline, I've been doing this, this this month in that typically with detox, you know, we have an educational and an empowering discussion like this. And then we end with some humor and I do some dad jokes. Well, I've put the dad jokes on pause for the time being. <laughs> okay. um, just I, I feel like we'll get back there at some point. But for now, let's just focus on the education and the empower, empowerment and then we'll, the rest will come. But I would love to know, is there an, an additional, besides the resources you've mentioned, specifically the 13th documentary, is there another resource that you can think of that it doesn't even have to be a documentary or a book. It can be something like, uh, you know, I love the Netflix show, Dear White People. I mean, you know, just uh, a resource that you can leave folks with. And then also a piece of advice for how you are continuing to educate and uh, empower yourself as well? Sure. Um, I got really into podcasts in the last like year or so. They sure. become like my new music when I'm on the subway. Um, and a podcast that I truly, truly love um, that took me on quite a journey with 1619. Uh, yes. It's a New York Times podcast. Uh, and she really does such an incredible job. Um, it it was a real education um, on race relations in America. Uh, so I highly recommend that. Um, and how I'm kind of staying active is I, I'm, I'm constantly reminded that while I have a platform, like I have, you know, I have a few followers from my television show that um, it's, it's not my voice that needs to be amplified right now. I'm going to, I'm going to share, uh, things. Uh, I'm going to try to educate myself while I educate my followers, but I keep, I keep getting reminded by friends that I need to amplify voices of people of color, um, and really kind of point followers to the direction, um, of, of their voice while they 
because their voices are the ones that need to be heard. So, so the white people's voices have been heard a lot. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. So. Absolutely. And so I think it's, that's key is to, and that's what we're doing here is we're wanting to amplify voices of individuals who people typically may overlook or not necessarily listen to. So we're having these conversations about being better allies and we're going to have, you know, just as a preview for the next episode, um, after this one, uh, I'm going to have a good friend of mine, Dante Washington on the show. And he used to play uh, professional soccer. He played for the U S national team for a while back in the nineties. He also used to play for FC Dallas back when they were the Dallas burn played for the Columbus crew played, uh, overseas a little bit. And so he's going to talk about his experience being a black man in America and especially in the nineties, especially playing sports in a, especially in America at the time, a, uh, fairly uh, white, uh, sport. And so things have changed, um, specifically in the sport as well, but, <laughs> but, but he's going to be on to talk about that. So that will be, so that's an example of we're we're talking about being better allies. Now we're going to have someone's right. perspective on that. I cannot speak to, you can't speak to, none of us can speak to. Um, and so I think that'll be good, but, uh, additional resource that right. I want to leave people with, um, as well. Something I've been really, uh, ruminating on recently. I talked about uh, dear white people, and I've been rereading We Were Eight Years in Power by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Those have been my go-tos, but I've really been wanting to uh, just figure out what it means to to take action and to step up. And so for those that may not be familiar with there's Hassan Minaj's Patriot Act on Netflix. So I'll highly recommend you to listen and watch and learn. He does a great job. If you like last week tonight with John Oliver, it's a similar flow, similar structure. Um, it's a great way to educate yourself in kind of 20, 30 minute bites and bursts. Um, if you're looking for more documentary, um, Jay already mentioned 1619 podcast. That's a fantastic resource as well. Um, but there's a lot of resources out there and there's a lot of people willing to help you with that. There's a podcast, the stacks, um, that does a great job of compiling books from authors of color. Um, so they've got great recommendations. They're like a weekly book club you can check out. And then also my friend, Anthony hosts the reality is T H a reality is podcasts. I've been on a few times. Um, he does a great job of, uh, just bringing these types of conversations to light in a funny and more lighthearted, but also serious way. So he does a good job. There's a lot of resources for you there. Talked about the next episode, but now as we're wrapping up, Jay, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, mostly on Instagram. I'm at J A Y underscore a underscore Johnson. So J underscore a underscore Johnson on Instagram. And um, I'm mostly posting black lives matter stuff. And so it, I'm finding resources that are helpful for me. Um, and so go check those out. And I'm trying to amplify as many black voices uh, as I can um, via my platform. So check out uh, those voices as well. Ahmad Simmons is who I highlight today. It's his birthday and we grew up together um, in Texas. Um, and now he's been slaying the game uh, in Chicago and New York City for the last 10 years. Uh, so you should check out Ahmad Simmons stuff. Um, he's a hometown hero of mine. That's sure. awesome. Very nice. Well, as we've been doing for the last couple of episodes on this show, um, instead of figuring out what hashtag we should use, I've been using because I don't want to screw up the algorithms of Black Lives Matter. We're using hashtag listen and learn because that's what we're all about right now. So, and then as uh, we've also been doing, instead of the normal outro music, I'm playing uh, one of my favorite artists, Fantastic Negrito. He's a black blues musician. And we're playing his song, his rendition of In the Pines. 
uh, which is about tackling police brutality and the experience of being a single mom and losing your son to this type of institutionalized racism that we've been talking about. So uh, until next time, Jay, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's really good to see you. It's good to see you as well. And until next time, hashtag listen and learn and hashtag be a better dad. In the pines, in the pines